This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You're listening to Don't Repeat This, the show where we discuss topics you're not supposed to bring up at the dinner table. I'm Vicki. I'm Gail. And I'm Nate. And as far as today's topic goes, I think the title of today's episode kind of says it all. Uh, So just a quick note, uh, we are recording this episode on Sunday, January 10th. And given everything that has happened and probably will happen in the next couple days, um, we might be a little behind the news cycle. At the moment, uh, Donald Trump is still in office, though he's been banned from social media. Uh, There's no official word on whether he'll be removed before President-elect Biden's inauguration, but news outlets are indicating that House Democrats will be introducing an article of impeachment on Monday. A draft of the article, written by Representatives David Cicilline, Ted Lieu, and Jamie Raskin, has been signed by at least 180 representatives and is now available online. Anyway, how are you two holding up? How are my Americans doing? Mm. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I'm good. I'm I we're okay. I'm really far away from Washington DC, so it's not something that's really been physically scary, but we Mike and I were watching um the events unfold on C-SPAN the day that it happened because we just wanted to watch the um, the certification of the Electoral College votes. Um, and we saw the people in real time break in the Capitol and it was quite scary. Jeez. Yeah. What that about you, scary. Nate? Um, I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm currently not in the country. Um, so I feel a little bit insulated, uh, though I, I did have um, MSNBC on um, on my... Um, on my computer, I have a VPN, so it makes makes my computer think that it's in America, so I can keep track of what's going on in so my you homeland. Can watch it from Socialist Canada. Yes, so I can watch Ameri- <laughs> t- true American media from Socialist Canada. Exactly, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like I'm okay. Uh, definitely shaken um, and still sort of reeling, but uh, but yeah, I mean that. Like I said, I do feel a little bit insulated being being this far away, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's totally okay that you're still shaken. It was less than a week ago, um, and I just want to say, if anyone out there, it, like who's listening, is feeling not okay, that's totally that's fine. It's fine. You feel what you need to feel right now. Um, I I like to say, take care of yourself, which definitely doesn't mean like don't be angry, don't be upset. It means express and feel like what you need to feel right now in order to, you know, function. Um, Take care of yourself first. Don't worry about taking care of other people. Don't worry about like one thing that happened at my job, which kind of bothered me, is that there was no formal statement of what happened sent out to everybody. Nobody really acknowledged that like this was happening and we were kind of just expected to keep calm and carry on. And like. I think that's gaslighting. I think, you know, if all of you are having a hard time right now, it's fine. It's okay to have a hard time. These are very weird, crazy times that we're living in. And what happened on Wednesday is not normal. No, I, I appreciate what um, Nadia Bowles-Weber um, posted to Twitter. Uh, she said something to the effect of, um, hey, you know, uh, it's it's okay to not be productive today. Don't expect yourself to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering for how many people it's not just that day, which was a day all on its own on on when is it Wednesday now? It I'm trying Wednesday. to think. It was Wednesday that that happened on, but like, how many days do, does an event like that even just take to process? It like I heard some people that didn't expect to be super unproductive the next day or two days later, it hit them of just feeling like wiped out emotionally completely. I think a lot of those discussions ended up half happening with family or online the discussions ended up coming up afterwards and stuff started to come out um so it's completely normal that you know if it's still something you're reeling from we usually try and stay ahead on the podcast with filming our our recording our episodes and we decided no you know what this one we want to we want to deal with more in in real time even though it's it's not going to come out the day we record this it's going to be close because 
this is an event that's important. I mean, it's sad, Vicky, to hear that they didn't address it. I'm trying to think back to 9-11 when that happened. I remember where I was, and I'm a Canadian. Like, everybody sort of stopped what they were doing and just were gasping and in shock watching their country under attack. And as a Canadian, I was watching from Canada again, going like, this is an attack on the States. Um, and it's weird for this to be treated differently than that, as if it's not a terrorism act against I think democracy. You, yeah, that's exactly States. right. I mean, the fact that like they were it, for a long time, uh, people were, news outlets were saying, oh, these are protests. It's a pro- they're protesters, mob protesters and not calling them what they are, which is domestic terrorists. They are domestic terrorists. This is acts of terrorism actively um, seeking to undermine and destroy our democracy. So that's, you know, anyway, I, I wanted to um, get into some of our topics for today. Um, specifically, I wanted to talk about alt-right extremists or um, right-wing extremists. I think we can drop the alt I mean, if you want to still use it, you can still use it. But I think we don't we don't need to say their alternative right now because uh, about half the country voted for this man. Um, yeah, this is the face <laughs> of the right wing. Yeah. So one thing that really struck me as I was watching sort of the situation unfold on Wednesday and in the subsequent days was how extremism spreads online. Like I look at this and I think this is the product of a completely free and unregulated internet. And in many ways, that's amazing. It's great that we have that in this country. But um, in terms of allowing these this messaging to continue, I feel like it's really, really, really been dangerous. Um, so if uh, you check out our show notes, there's going to be some links on there for um, my sources. One of the sources is from the FBI's website, and it's basically on how extremism spreads online. And so... They talk about how online forums and chat rooms are places where violent extremists and hate groups find many new recruits, which includes young people. Um, In these sites, people often talk about things that are interesting to them. And sometimes there's like members only sections and violent extremists uh, look for people who might be open to their beliefs. So, I mean, there's all sorts of chat rooms and forums and sites online where you can like be really, really interested in, like, a certain topic. The one that comes to mind to me right off the bat is Reddit. Like, I'm on Reddit. Uh, Mike's on Reddit. Reddit. Yeah, me too. For the most part is, like, it's great. You get to learn about a lot of stuff. You get to, you know, get help from people in your interests and your hobbies. Um, There's also a really dark side to Reddit. Uh, It's not very woman-friendly. It's not very friendly to people of color um, historically. I mean, it's getting slightly better, but... It's mostly moderated by people within each group. So, um, you know, it, it, it can go down a dark path really quickly. And 8chan and 4chan are, uh, I want to say, universally bad. Yeah. <laughs> Message boards. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I, I'm not on there. I have, I, I have no interest of ever in, in ever signing up for an account there. Yeah. Um, but to my knowledge, there's really nothing good that happens in those uh, in those message forums. Yeah, it's basically like lawlessness in in HA. I mean, 4chan started started it, and then HN kind of came out of 4chan. Um, and I wanted to kind of focus on all three of them because I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that came out of all three of them. I can think of like the Pizzagate scandal came out of Reddit mm-hmm. specifically, and. Um, but one thing that that has kind of gone through all three of them is QAnon. And so if you don't know what QAnon is, I'm going to get into it in a few minutes. But um, I wanted to be as like non-biased as possible. And so I, I looked for sources outside of the U.S. that kind of discussed QAnon from like a third party perspective. So this is an article from the BBC. Um, it says at its heart, QAnon is a wide ranging, completely unfounded theory that says President Trump is waging a secret war against elite Satan-worshipping pedophiles in government, business, and the media. QAnon believers have speculated that this fight will lead to a day of reckoning, where prominent people such as former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton will be arrested and executed. And they go on to like talk about theories that are like, you know, Hillary Clinton like drinks the blood of 
kidnapped children and uh there's a there's an illegal sex ring in the basement of a pizza place in washington dc and that was related to pizzagate um which and that was like widely spread on reddit reddit is also like people there's twitter accounts devoted to reddit like there's people who spread things from reddit on other platforms so it spreads really really quickly um and so specifically with regards to what happened on wednesday (laughs) I don't know if y'all saw this, but there was a man who calls himself the Q Shaman. <laughs> yeah. See the antler one? He had like he a had fuzzy the, hat. The horns. Yeah. Did he have horns? He did have horns. He had horns. Like, yeah. did he have a painted face too? Yeah. 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 He painted yeah. his that face. One. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He was over all over a lot of those shots. Yeah. That we saw. Because he's just dressed like it. I, I dressed like an asshole. Um, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I saw a meme going around that um, that the Simpsons had predicted this, that they had some kind of... I, it's too... This one doesn't look real, because you know the Simpsons have somehow accurately predicted all sorts of weird shit, but this one, it doesn't quite look real. It looks manufactured, but it was pretty funny to see yeah. like the Simpsons rendition of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, so his name is Jake, um, and his full legal name is... Jacob Anthony Chansley, but he goes by Jake Angeli. Um, And right now he is currently um, in custody on charges, including violent entry and disorderly conduct from, you know, breaking into the Capitol and being an asshole. Uh, Mr. Chansley, who calls himself the QAnon shaman, is allegedly the man who who was pictured with a painted face, fur hat, and horns inside of Congress on Wednesday. Interestingly enough... As soon as everyone was cleared out of the Capitol, people were saying that guy is Antifa. <laughs> He's why Antifa. Would they say- Wait, why? Because he was at a uh, at least one, but probably more than one Black Lives Matter protest over the summer in 2020 um, as a counter protester, and so they were oh, they were cropping pictures of him at those protests and saying he's Antifa. He's just trying to like rile up. First of all. Like, they cropped the part of the picture that had him holding a big sign that says, like, Q is real, learn the truth. Um, oh, God. You know, but, that, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of that stuff going around online. So, one thing that, like, you know, I, I don't have it written down here, but I'm just thinking out loud, like, why would you make yourself so obvious? Like, you, there's no mask, no, no face covering. They're, like, committing these crimes, obviously and they're like not even trying to hide the fact that like of who they are or anything they're like very blatant about it but you know anyway violent extremists have joined you know many popular social media sites that let you share pictures and personal information um for a long time social networking sites such as twitter facebook instagram and youtube have been reluctant to mitigate block or remove users who post misinformation even if that information is violent so I feel like there is this this idea that they're just going to get away with it. Like no one has stopped them online. And so this is just an extension of that. Like the president loves us. He says we're like his favorite. <laughs> You're special and we love you. Yeah. He yeah. actually said to them. Yes. But he was talking to Antifa. Clearly, right, when right. he said go Stop home, because they were the ones who stormed the Capitol. It wasn't any right-wing extremist Trump yeah, supporters. Yeah. It was so Antifa. I'm going to so. get into that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. So, okay. So, we talked about um, the FBI uh, source. I talked about the BBC source. And I'm going to talk about there's a paper published in Nature, um, the, the Nature Journal, which if you don't know scientific journals, um, academic journals, the two big ones are called nature and science. And so if you can get, if you're a scientist and you get a paper published in nature, it's, it's a pretty big deal for you. Um, so this is a nature paper published and it, the title is extremist ideology as a complex contagion, the spread of far right radicalization in the United States between 2005 and 2017. And then the paper goes in to talk about, uh, the rise of extremist propaganda and recruitment far before Trump was in office from uh, people on the right, including Trump himself. So the results that they found indicate the patterns of far-right radicalization in the United States are consistent with a complex contagion process in which reinforcement is required for transmission. So both social media usage 
and group membership enhance the spread of extremist ideology, suggesting that online and physical organizing remain primary recruitment tools for the far-right movement. In addition, I identified several, or the author identified several endemic factors, such as poverty, which is interesting, that increase Hmm. the probability um, of radicalization in particular regions. And so... I don't know when when I hear this whole statement, right? I think it's basically saying social media is is a it's a catalyst for all of these hate groups to grow more and more and more because there's two there's two factors. Um, one factor is reinforcement, so you have to hear the same. Um, rhetoric over and over and over again. You have to hear the same conspiracy theory over and over and over again from different sources. If you hear that from different sources, you're like more likely to believe it, even if all of the sources are wrong, just be just by nature of like conditioning. And then the second part is like membership. So a lot of these conservative groups online require you to sign up and become a member and you have to prove yourself in some way. And then once you get in, it's like a rite of passage. You feel like you've achieved something. Um, and that tends to make people feel really good and in so doing creates loyalty. So once you get into like the QAnon groups, <laughs> you're less yeah. likely to leave because it was number one hard to get in and you've been seeing this QAnon stuff all over your feed for however long. Um, mm-hmm. so if one person says, you know, that stuff's not true, like you're crazy, you're more likely to be like, no, you're crazy. You don't know the truth. <laughs> I saw, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember what, uh, what podcast it was in, but I had heard, uh, on an episode discussing, I think that the title of the episode was like, um, losing your family to Fox news. Um, and they were oh, you're talking wrong about. about, yes, I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think it was, you're wrong about. And, um, they, they, they were discussing the propensity for, um, People and not those who are actively seeking out the Q conspiracies per se, but why um, maybe the elderly, for example, tend to fall prey to these things. And one of the reasons is that uh, this the misinformation that's shared out there um, is showing up amongst their friends because their friends are, are are sharing them. But one of the other reasons that this happens is that um, even websites that are debunking those. So, like, if somebody, like, if I share um, a Snopes article or something debunking some misinformation theory. or conspiracy theory, the headline still has that conspiracy theory in it. And when somebody recalls that information, they're not thinking about the context or the source. They're thinking about that headline. Um, that idea of reinforcement that you brought up, Vicky, how many times you have to read something before in your mind subconsciously it mm-hmm. sticks yeah. as, as being true. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I, I listened to that episode too. It was absolutely fabulous. If you haven't, if you haven't listened to You're Wrong About, it's a great, great podcast. Um, highly recommend yeah. it. Okay, so I guess I I want to go and talk about like a topic that Mike brought up to me yesterday. There is an interesting thing floating around online. There's a stereotype of the poor disinformed or like the economically destitute people who are Trump supporters, but Maybe they're not so good at like, like discerning information, um, but they mostly, you know, voted for Trump because because of economic reasons. Poor people, people who don't have a ton of money, typically can't afford to take a day off work or to even like care for a sick child. Uh, I know that that you know was true in my experience growing up. Like there, I nobody took a day off of work to take care of me. Because they just couldn't afford it, right? And let, let alone take a trip to D.C. where you have to get a hotel and it's going to be multiple days. You have to pay for your transportation and your lodging and your food. So to say that the people who are going to this protest are mostly poor rednecks, dumb idiots with no money, is, I think, missing a huge point. Because if they were, if they were really poor... And they're voting for Trump for economic reasons. You know, there would really they they wouldn't be able to go. So these are people that have the economic means to spend, 
you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on this trip. Mm hmm. I mean, even even looking at uh, some of the people who were caught and, you know, we can uh, search for them, verify who they are. Uh, one of them w who actually shared, I, I think, went live on social media um, was a, uh, a West Virginia legislator, uh, state legislator, um, who has since resigned, um, thankfully. But that's not somebody who is, you know... Um, uh, living at or below the poverty line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as to what actually happened on Wednesday, um, it was all swirling around Congress meeting to certify the Electoral College count. President Trump held a simultaneous rally at the same time that um, members of Congress were meeting to certify the election results. There, he encouraged his supporters to march on the Capitol. He said, we will never concede. Um, in this election, like just so everyone's aware, this is a fact in which president elect Joseph R. Biden Jr. received more, he received more than 7 million votes than Trump. Um, and he earned 306 electoral votes, which is no small like victory. He won by a lot, um, by way more than he needed to win. Um, and so at around one... Yeah, this wasn't like he just got like 271 or 270, exactly. whatever the number, exactly. math, how that math works out. No, this is a a stamp, like like solid defeat of Trump. Yes. Trump calls that a landslide where he wins 306 electoral votes in 2016. And this 306 electoral votes is suddenly in 2020, a tight, just barely, it's a contested election. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like... A lot of if you've never really lost before, you know, like you've never yeah, accepted defeat, sure. you've never learned how to like lose gracefully, then this is how you act. Um, mm -hmm. I think the difference is that in this case, it's actively harmful to our nation. So at about 1.20 p.m., despite police firing flashbang grenades, the mob of domestic terrorists continue to move forward to the Capitol. Eventually, they broke into the Capitol building with force so they broke windows they used um you know blunt force they used guns um at the time it appeared that they were simply trying to stop the certification of votes however it has since been discovered that some of these domestic terrorists had constructed gallows and intended on using them on the vice president as well as other members of congress because they didn't yeah, like didn't the they also results. bring zip ties so clearly they were planning on taking people hostage mm-hmm and as members of Congress were rushed to safety via underground tunnels installed below the Capitol building um, and taken to an undisclosed location to hide, the mob invaded offices, stealing and destroying property. Trump issued a statement via Twitter, which encouraged his supporters to go home, telling him that he loves them very much and that they are very special. So completely mm. like not even disavowing the behavior just saying like i love you you didn't do anything wrong but now we have to go home after he told them that um and gail you're going to get into this i think too that some of the things that he said were just blatantly inciting violence blatantly um, yeah you mentioned uh what was the statement you said that trump said uh we'll never concede or yeah, we're never we'll never concede yeah yeah. Yeah. He said, we're never going to take one of those the other statements he, he made was, you'll never take back our country by weakness. And Giuliani mm -hmm. echoed um, that we needed to have trial by combat. So there's very insightful statements on behalf mm -hmm. of the president leading up to this. Like it wasn't an out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my last point is that, you know, over the four years that Trump has been in office and even before then, the as Americans, I think we believe that the president holds a lot of the power, the political power, the economic power, um, the power to make things happen, the power to make change. And what's interesting is over the past few days, um, social media sites have begun to remove Trump from social media, which has had these rippling effects throughout the rest of America. So mm -hmm. after they pulled the plug on President Trump, Trump basically has no more mouthpiece, right? 
Twitter's yeah. decision to permanently suspend Mr. Trump's account on Friday due to the risk of further incitement of violence after a decision a day earlier by Facebook to ban the president at least through the end of his term was a watershed moment in the history of social media. Both companies had spent years defending Mr. Trump's continued presence on their platforms only to change course days before the end of his presidency. And I think one thing to note is that like these companies, we think of them as just like, oh, it's like a fun app. I use it to like share my pictures or talk to my friends. Um, they are in essence corporate autocracies. They operate outside of um, a lot of the laws that we use to regulate other companies like, you know, antitrust laws. So it was really obvious to me when they when all of these companies started shutting down Trump, when Twitter did it, when Facebook did it, when, you know, Amazon Web Services cut uh, they cut Parler Parler's hosting and Apple and Google Play Store also cut Parler, which is a very conservative app. They cut them entirely. So now you cannot access Parler anymore. After this happened, um, it basically cut off Trump's ability to misinform. <laughs> hmm. And in so doing, protected the country. They could have done this at any time. Let's be, mm-hmm. let's be abundantly clear on that. They didn't have yes. to wait until the Capitol was broken into. Yeah, sorry, real quick. I, I just, I, it dawned on me um, a few days ago, or not a few days ago, probably like yesterday. It all It's all a blur. Uh, but it, at some point it dawned on me that this timing probably has less to do with this mob that, that stormed the Capitol or attempted to storm the Capitol and more to do with the fact that the Senate has flipped to the Democrats, mm. right? And I know, Gail, you have this in, in uh, the, you're, you're going to say something about this as well, but like these uh, congressional committees that oversee these companies are now going to be chaired by Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These co- these companies are, are just covering their asses. Thank God they're doing it, although I do feel too little too late, but this is just, this is really, I feel, this is just them covering their asses. Right. And- yeah, the timing is really important in this regard because you're completely right, Vicky. Like, they had a responsibility. They have, this has been their platforms that have been giving him that mouthpiece up to this point, which has mobilized um, his supporters that have that have done this. And they hold a responsibility for what went down. And it's, I feel like it's too little too late. I don't want to say it's not a good thing. They pulled him now, but it does, the timing looks so suspect that all of a sudden now the Democrats will, will be the ones yeah. um, holding them responsible in congressional committees. Right. And now all of a sudden they're taking the right decision. And, and it just, yeah. And not only that, but um, one of the, so there's this article in the New York times, which um, talks about how Twitter um, really was holding the power the past four years, and we didn't even we weren't even really aware of it. They talk about how you know Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg considered the evidence, consulted their teams, weighed the trade offs and risks of inactions, including the threat of a worker revolt that could damage their ability to t- attract top talent. Um, and so that seems to have been like the main factor is like this is going to help. This is not going to help our bottom line. This is going to hurt us. Mm. Um, because we might have everybody walk out and then we won't be able to make money anymore. Not so much hmm. like this is unethical. This is bad. We're like, you know, misleading the entire nation or the entire world. It's, this is going to hurt our bottom line. So I don't, I don't know. That's, that's all I have on this. I, I'm also really happy that Parler is pretty much dead because that is a terrible, it's a terrible, uh, social media platform. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Gail, I know that um, you had some thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I, I've been thinking it over too, and I've been thinking of um, the people that are saying, you know, Trump is still dangerous, and others have pointed out that he's probably more dangerous now than he was before. Um, Heather Cox Richardson put up a post, and it was saying that narcissists can only escalate, never back down. He'll get worse and do worse until he's removed. So. I'm really thankful that he's been kicked off of social media um, because I do think he would be writing up a Twitter storm. But I think to just ignore the threat of who Trump is, I, I'm worried. And I think people should be concerned. And sh- I'm glad they're trying to, to remove him from office and impeach him because I think that he's a real threat. And this should have been something that people saw coming. Some did. And didn't. some people just didn't listen to those warnings. But 
Um, yeah, I, I, that has been striking me, just how, how real of a threat Trump is and the problematicness of who he is. Um, real quick, sorry, it, it, like a, a video game analogy just, um, just popped into my head. Um, Trump being removed from Twitter is kind of like um, in Zelda Ocarina of Time, <laughs> def defeating Ganondorf in his um, sort of humanoid form. But there's still another more difficult battle ahead. He's going to transform into some kind of yeah. monstrosity, yeah. you know? And, and I think basically what we've done by removing his social media platforms is just angering uh, angering him further. Yeah. He's going to do something worse. Yeah, absolutely. And and Trump represents a group of people too. So even the whole getting rid of Trump, let's say, you know, we're we're past inauguration day, Biden is now in power. Um some of the arguments that are being made now have been really causing me to think because people are like both sizing, both sizing the whole situation and that's been getting me to think a little bit harder about it because everybody likes peace. I don't know how it's been going down in all of your families, but I had two family members that actually went to Washington, which is in my opinion, very embarrassing. And when I called them out, it was like, oh, you're in socialist Canada. You don't know what's really going on in the States. And that's what I got as a retort and was shut down immediately. But I find it very embarrassing. I have uncles and grandparents that fought for the U.S. in the U.S. My mom is born in, in the States. My foster mother is born in the States. This is my family. A lot of cousins, a lot of family members live in the States. So I care. And I feel invested. Obviously, my boyfriend lives there. He's with me now. But um, yeah, I, the whole both sides in it has really been hitting me because when you have an abusive relationship, an abuser will always look to highlight how the one they were abusing isn't perfect. And false equivalencies then get brought up, right? Like people start, like what you mentioned, Vicky, like comparing protests and terrorists, you know, like calling it protests when it's actually terrorism. That's a really important distinction. Um, you know, looking at the Black Lives Matter protests, I've heard people make really good arguments like, you know, look at how the BLM pro protesters were treated. If that would have been them, they would have been shot like the police wouldn't have. But like even in comparing both of those scenarios, it's, it's, it, they're just false equivalencies altogether, right? Like a protest, um, what, what was happening with Black Lives Matter was actual protests of people, um, who were brutalized by police standing up for themselves, standing up for justice. And to compare that to people who are literally unhappy with the results of an election and trying to disrupt that and trying to disrupt a democracy and storming the Capitol illegally and trying to compare that to people standing up for being brutalized by police. Um, the whole let's all get along together, both sides have great people. Uh, it's, it's sort of a messed up thing. And I guess that's been something floating around in my head. Um, because people, you know, will sometimes quote Martin Luther King and say, well, you know, he said, a protest is the language of the unheard. I'm sorry, but to be heard is to vote. And you lost the election. And I know that might be hard to wrap your head around or to accept when you thought you would come out as a champion and Trump already acknowledged he wasn't a good loser and told everyone ahead of time you wouldn't accept the loss. But if it would have been a win, he would have accepted it. But um, it's interesting that not one Republican office holder who was objecting to Biden's victory objected to their own wins on the same day, on the same ballots, using the same election mm -hmm. systems. All of a sudden they're they're being voted in i mean who was the one that we had uh we had seen do that i'm trying yeah, to think yeah uh it was um marjorie taylor green u.s representative of, yeah she's right? um out of uh georgia 14 and she made made those kinds of comments uh and she was she was uh probably wasn't she one of the ones that signed on to to voting or was planning on voting a, yeah. in opposition to yeah. certifying um and that that's my my question for her then is if if the the votes um, against Donald Trump in the presidential election uh, are not valid. Um, valid, then the votes for you on those same ballots 
should also be invalidated. Absolutely. It's really inconsistent. Yeah. And so there's a lot of false, false equivalencies going down to even pretend this is about that when it's really, you don't like, you don't like how things are going. You're not accepting the democratic results that have come through. It's been contested. It's gone through legal channels over and over again, has been certified that the fraud they were claiming has not happened. There's not been evidence. The Supreme through Court that threw been, it out. They just, they completely over threw and it over. out. And like, the Supreme Court so has courts. three justices appointed by Trump. Three. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just and not, like, not to mention the federal judiciary that, ha that had thrown out or uh, dismissed 60 cases. I, I, I haven't checked the numbers on this. I wonder how many uh, of those judges were Trump appointees. It's likely that a decent number of them were. Yeah. His own appointees. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And and going back to the whole false equivalency thing and just like yeah the deflections that are happening, I I saw a quote by um, I'm trying to see Kristen Powers. She said, "If you don't know the difference between people protesting police brutality and hundreds of years of racism and people storming the Capitol of the United States to disrupt the certification of an election because of a conspiracy the president of the U.S. created, I can't help you." And I really felt like that summarized some of the frustrations I had just with the whole, why can't everyone just get along and be nice? There are good people on both sides. I mean, you know, there's this situation and that situation. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're I, I marching was, with Nazis, there's probably yes. uh, something wrong with what you're marching for. Somebody was saying, how do you, how do you, how do you know that your perception of reality is the right one? And that's exactly it, Vicky, right? It's like, okay, so I strongly believe that Trump supporters are out to lunch and that they, they're not, they don't have a good grasp on reality from what they're listening to and hearing and what the rhetoric is and what they're saying. I'm, I'm like, I don't, I can't, I don't understand this. And they're looking at me the same way. So how do I know I'm not the one that's completely out to lunch here? And that, you know, if they feel the same way about me as I feel about them, I feel like a good barometer is if you look to the left of you in a protest and you see a guy wearing a 6MWE t-shirt and then you look to the right and you can look on Google for this and there's a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt, you are on the <laughs> wrong side. Like if you have Nazis marching with you for your cause, that's a good barometer that like don't both sides this, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just completely ridiculous. Um, and I, I think that that has been something that has been on my heart is this whole idea of calling for unity between people. Um, how do you have unity with a white supremacist? Mm. How do you ask people who are black? I mean, and I want to, I want to touch on this too. Black voters, uh, black Christian voters, white Christian voters, massive difference. 90% black Christian voters and voting, voting for, uh, Biden, and you have 81% voting for Trump, white Christian voters, and then you want to claim race is not involved in this picture at all. You don't want to address this topic. You want everyone to get along, but you don't recognize that your black voters who are reading the same Bible, your black Christians are seeing a problem here that you as a white Christian are overlooking and are, are not wanting to see, and you're not wanting to acknowledge that race has anything to do with it, even though you're marching with Nazis. Even though there's people holding confeder Confederate flags that are marching along with your group, you don't want to acknowledge that. Like, I've had people say, this has nothing to, why are you bringing whiteness into it? Why are you bringing race into it? How do you not look at that? How do you ignore Nazis mm. in your group? How do you ignore, um, you know, President Trump when he was on the debate saying to the Proud Boys, you know, stand back and stand by? And then you're like, oh, how did this happen? How did, must have been Antifa. You know, like, no, there's just no call out to, to and, the, and the Proud Boys were excited. They felt like this, it was an infamy thing to them. They were super excited for the call out. They view that as endorsement by Trump. And that says yeah, a lot. Yeah, they made merch. Yeah. Like they made t-shirts. They, were, they yeah. were excited by that call out and, and very happy to stand back and stand by. Um, so I think one of the things that's been, um, that I'm just tired about, is is seeing people say like we've never been more divided and i don't mean politically divided i've heard people saying that from a christian perspective of like we just need unity it's so it's it's everybody's so angry at each other and we just need to have more love for each other but they're not, they're they're supporting trump while saying this and they're going to talk about division and how we're the most divided in history while not acknowledging that hey when segregation existed 
Don't you think we were more divided in history then? When it, when you enslave, when white people enslaved, when we enslaved black people, was that not more division in history? Like, why are you looking at your time period and and focusing on that and yeah, not it, not even looking at the roots of of any of this? It makes it very clear who they perceive to be. We when they say we've never been more divided. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's there's another quote. I know I'm doing a lot of quotes, but I was just you know so you're look you're you're scrolling through and you're just reading stuff that's ringing home the stuff that it's putting words on what's bothering you. Um, there was one by Melissa Moore seventy seven on Twitter. She said, "You know what enrages me? Reading posts lamenting the hate and division and violence yesterday that never mention the problem of white supremacy. Posts that plead our country's need for Jesus, but aren't troubled that white supremacists were holding signs that read Jesus saves." Hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like Americans, especially the white Christian ones need to look deep into how they've supported white supremacy and hold accountable and up to scrutiny, both those who they've elected and put into positions of power in the government. It's yeah, that those have been things that have just, yeah, you know, staying with me. It's like, I think this is a question I want to throw at all of you. Um, I'll throw it to you guys after, but I'll say the question and then I'll, I'll get you guys to give me your answers. But one of them was like, how do we, how do we make a difference? How do we, uh, if you live in the States, what do you need to do to start making a change? What suggestions do you think are helpful? What are unhelpful ones? I know for me, when I've been listening to this dialogue, I feel like we need to stop acting like being nice to one person of color is going to solve systemic issues. And, um, you know, that whole analogy of, you know, should you you give a person a fish or teach them to fish? And it's like, well, maybe give them a fish to eat and then teach them the fish, but like, don't leave them hungry while you're teaching them to fish. But I think the whole question around that is if they're hungry to begin with, maybe you should be questioning why they're in that position and looking at the big picture of why you need to feed them to begin with. Um, so addressing the big pictures, you know, a lot of white people don't want to acknowledge uh, how much the systemic racism is a part of this whole picture and this whole situation we're in. But the reality is if you don't take a look at it, uh, things can't change. If you just want to feel like creating unity and happiness is is not acknowledging the white supremacy that's part of the political landscape, if you just want to be nice to one black person and think that's going to change things for society, you're ignoring the political realities that are impacting. I saw somebody say, I'm opting out of politics, and they were white. And I was thinking... How nice. Yeah, How, that's yeah. nice that you could opt out. And they said something like, you know, Jesus wasn't political. And I'm Hell, like, really? No, he was How? so I mean, political. He was, he was hung on a cross what, by the Romans. They don't do that to people for riling up their own religious group. They do that right. for threatening the political structures that currently exist, which he definitely did. And so people who of privilege who like to just imagine that their politics don't matter and can't we all get along and how do we solve all the hatred and anger? I'm just going to go be nice to a black person and don't actually want to take notice of the systemic and structural problems that exist and start voting in a way that actually reflects a care for people who are not white. There's That's like that's just something that um, has been eating away at me. Um, people saying things like, well, how dare you call me out for that? I mean, I help black people. In fact, my organization goes to Africa. We're involved in Kenya. We're doing this and that to help other people. And it's like, I guess this this annoyance I have of people thinking that they're either racist or not racist. And if they've done anything good, then they're not racist. And the work of anti-racism is something where we constantly need to be aware of our behaviors, not you know, are we in one category or the other overall? It is a day-by-day -day evaluation of our behavior. So just because I did something great yesterday to fight racism, it doesn't mean that I'm all of a sudden not accountable mm. for how my voting or my actions or my decisions are impacting people today. And if someone wants to call me out on that, someone was called out on social media for doing the both sides thing and wanting to stay in the middle. And they were like, how dare you call me out? I, I've done work to help black people. I don't want to be called racist. And, and how you know, how could you say that about me? And Ibram Kendi, you were saying, Vicky, just finished the book and we're enjoying it. But I love his analogy where he's like, it's like name tags that you, that you it's not a, a permanent location. It's a name tag you stick on and off depending on where you're at at any particular moment, if you're being racist or not. So white people need to become 
much more willing to be evaluated. Whether or not you've done good things yesterday, what are you doing today? And if you're doing something harmful, allow people to call you out. If you're deciding to opt out of politics is harming others and they're telling you that and you don't want to hear it because you don't like controversy, too bad. Too bad. You don't need to get so fragile about, how dare you call me racist? Yeah. You don't yeah. get to be permanently in one category or the other. Look at how your behaviors right now are having an impact and stop acting like it's the biggest deal in the world to have that evaluated continuously because those biases are, are very unconscious. I don't think anyone sets out to be hateful, but we do need to evaluate how much society has influenced us. I think tied into that to answer your question, um, one of the things that I would say um, would be helpful towards um, seeing a, a a kind of healing in in this country would be first and foremost, at least for me in my mind, and and tangential to what you're talking about, is a truth and reconciliation for this country and what we have done, um, even before we as a country came into existence. I mean, going back as as far back as 1619, when the industry of chattel slavery first reached the shores of this continent. Um, all the way from from that moment to today, and what has sparked the Black Lives Matter movement, um, we need to, as a nation, reconcile with that. And until then, I, I, and I truly believe that this country's original and foundational sin is that of um, racism, white supremacy, and... Um, chattel slavery, until we come to face that and recognize that, we will never reach right. a, a, a healing as, as, a, as a country. So that, to, to answer that question, yeah, that's, that's probably what I, would, what I would land on. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with both of, both of you. Um, it's obviously a really hard topic to talk about. Um, to, yeah. When you have to come to terms with the fact that you may have make, made a mistake, whether it be, you know, racial, political, or, you know, even something small in your day-to-day -day life, it's, it can be very difficult to admit that you've made a mistake and that you were wrong. Um, the fact of the matter is, um, and I am in wholehearted agreement with Ibram X. Kendi, who was the author of, you know, How to Be an Anti-Racist, as well as, you know, some other fabulous books that I have yet to read. Racism isn't a moral failing necessarily. It is mm -hmm. a systemic issue that is pervasive among every group of people in the world. It is not just right. white Americans are racist, period. Every group of people experiences racism and every group of people perpetuates racism. And I think a big misconception among people on the right wing, like people in the right wing, um, is that, oh, well, they're attacking us because we're white and only white people can be racist. That's not fair. No, that's completely wrong. And anyone who has suggested that um, is very much misinformed. Anyone can be racist. There's racism in every country. Like, Regardless of what you look like, there's also classism in every country. There's discrimination on every level all over the world. And to say that, um, you know, you can't be racist because you've been helping people of other races in other countries completely misses the point. Racism is about, or, or sorry, anti-racism is about accepting the fact that you had one view of the world that was based off of certain groups of people being better or worse than others accepting that fact and then acknowledging that it's incorrect and that no one is better or worse than you on a moral level everyone is born equal because we're all people and not being colorblind but working to change the systemic injustice that affects predominantly people of color predominantly black americans in this country and so i don't think um in terms of your question gail I don't think that we can heal as a country until we, as Americans, come to terms with, with what we have done wrong 
and realize that it's not a personal moral failing, but it's a result of our environment as well as a complicity and a willingness to go along with what we know is wrong, despite the fact that we know it's wrong, to admit that that's wrong and then to move forward because we can't move forward unless we admit that we fucked up in the past. <laughs> exactly. In the, the last few minutes that we have, I, I want to touch on a bit the um, uh, connection to uh, Trumpism, the Trumpism that kind of runs rampant in, uh, in religion, particularly in white American evangelical Christianity. Yes. Um, and I know we harp on evangelicalism a lot, but the, one of the reasons for that is because it's We a, hail from there. Yeah. But also- yeah. Right. One of, one of the reasons for that is is our, our backgrounds. Um, you know, Gail and I, I know, Vicky, you come from a, a Catholic background, but uh, Gail and I come from an evangelical background. So, and the, the other reason is that they are the, and, and I'll point out a little bit later, they are one of the most influential voting groups mm-hmm. in, uh, in the U.S. And there are so many reasons we need to pay attention to evangelicalism, not the least of which being the fact that they hold so much sway over uh, the votes of millions of Americans. Um, So I came across uh, a column by Michael Gerson uh, in the Washington Post, and uh, he wrote in his column the the following. He said that um, the overwhelming support of evangelicals is the single largest reason that Trump possesses power in the first place. Um, and then, just as an aside, I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on that a little bit um, a little later. Um, he goes on to say, It was their malignant approach to politics that forced our country into its current nightmare. As white nationalists, criminals, and terrorists took hold of the Republican Party, many evangelicals blessed it under the banner of Jesus Saves. And like you were saying, Gail, we and like so we all saw on signs. television, the the banners and the signs that literally said Jesus saves um, as they attempted to storm uh, the Capitol building. Evangelical leaders like Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr., Robert Jeffress, Kenneth Copeland, Paula White, Jim and Rosemary Garlow, um, Al Mohler. Mohler. (laughs) Right? He is like the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is, and that's like the largest Protestant denomination, the Southern yeah, Baptists. The and Southern Baptists, exactly. He I, was a huge. I'll just quickly put this in, Nate. Don't lose, lose your train of thought. Sorry for interrupting, but like he was a massive Trump supporter, platformed him, encouraged people to vote for him, and all of a sudden now he's not. But you have to take responsibility for that. You are a voice that has tremendous influence, and now you're changing your opinion, but you're pretending all along like you haven't been a big Trump supporter, encouraging your followers in that direction. If you've changed position and you now see Trump as a problem, you need to you need to explain and repent of or talk about why you were wrong and explain that to you to the people who followed you into that to begin with. Right, right. Because somebody like Al Mohler, with his influence, um, he has brought people along with him in following Trump. He has led people to their essential doom <laughs> in in following this con man and he has to answer for that yeah so their ally uh allyship with trump um you know has has brought about these consequences um there i, I want to talk a little bit about um evangelicals sort of approach to politics and how it mirrors their um approach to faith and beliefs. Um, and this is going to come across as harsh, but it's evidenced, um, in my own experience and and I'm sure in the experience of, um, thousands of ex evangelicals, um, but evangelicals by and large tend to not think critically. Um, they rarely, if ever examine their ideologies, they almost never hold their beliefs up to, uh, any kind of light, um, they never, they never hold them under a microscope. Uh, they just kind of take these beliefs at what they believe to be face value, um, and they don't even really have much literacy with 
the texts that they hold so dear. Um, mm. You know, they tell us we need to read the Bible more. And that's what that's that's why you fell away from your faith because you didn't read the Bible uh, properly. Well, no, I did, and I studied it, and I saw that your interpretations of the text are extremely lacking. Mm. Um, but they'll never, um, they'll never admit to that. And I think that bleeds into their approach to politics. That's why you can get an entire group of evangelicals to vote a particular way with just one word. And they claim to be, to, they claim to not be single issue voters. But as soon as you mention abortion. Mm. Which we took two episodes yeah. to cover. <laughs> we did. And they were good episodes. So go back and listen to them. Um, but as soon as you mention the word abortion, they suddenly lose any capacity to examine candidates, to look at policy, to even look at how policy will affect um, abortion um, as a practice, as a medical practice, um, not abortion as far as like the, the political uh, term. In any case, um, and I know, uh, like we were we were talking about this before we hit record, but um, how what over the last almost hundred years the Supreme Court of the U.S. has skewed conservative, and yet how many Supreme Court decisions have upheld the legality of abortion mm. in this country? It's um, it's a carrot on a stick, yeah. you know. These conservative politicians just hold it over their constituency, hold it in front of their constituency to continue to. Um, uh, to convince them to vote for them. Once they're in power, they do nothing about uh, their pro-life stance because, because they it's know unconstitutional. As... I mean, like you're restricting the rights of the American people. I'm sorry. Like I have so <laughs> many feelings about this. Like you literally, it's yeah. legally you cannot restrict. If you're going to admit that a woman is equal to a man, you know, and women can sit on the Supreme Court, women can hold off political office then you can't say oh all of a sudden one half of the population that just happens to be woman their rights are going to be restricted on the basis of sex like you cannot say that and th so mm. so um you know roe v wade is basically like an extension of justice ginsburg's on the basis of sex whole thing so mm -hmm. i mean i yeah, it's it is unconstitutional. The only way that you could really reverse it, in my mind, and I'm you know not a legal scholar by any means, but would be to just completely forget about the fact that women are just as much people as men are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, I agree. Um, so I'm going to throw out a, a, some numbers here. Uh, they're not entirely like exacting or accurate, um, but the picture that they paint. Um, alludes to a very sobering reality. Um, so around 71% of Americans identify as Christian. So that would be around 230, 232 million people. Um, of those 232 million people who identify as Christian, over 25% or about 59 million people call themselves evangelical or are affiliated with an evangelical church. Uh, now, according to exit polls on election day, 2020, similarly, Election Day 2016, um, between 76 and 81 percent of white evangelicals voted for Trump. So that's around 45 million to 48 million people who voted for Trump. Um, and if, what was it, 75 million people voted for Trump in 2020, mm. 64 percent of that number are white evangelicals mm. the majority of trump's support comes from white american evangelicals mm -hmm. this is his biggest support group it is this is why he goes and takes a bible and holds it up in front of a church and mows down a whole group of people in order to do it and and like you were saying the naivety of that group mm -hmm. to just look at that to separate it completely from everything he just did and just look at the bible in his hands and not look at if any of his behavior in mowing down people reflected the Bible in his hands and just go, look, he supports the Bible. He's holding one up for a photo op. This is our guy. This is God's guy. I mean, I think it, that really makes your point, Nate, of, mm -hmm. of how much the optics are, are a thing, the lack of critical thinking, and how much he knows who his people are. He knows that that's mm -hmm. his biggest support group. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been making the case for a while that 
evangelicalism and evangelicals um, by proxy are dangerous. Um, they are not simply irrelevant. They're not simply something we can just say, oh, well, you know, they're antiquated. Their ideology is, uh, is messed up. And, and yeah, that would be nice if we could simply say they're irrelevant. But like I just said, they're, they have an enormous amount of sway over how this country functions. And um, they serve as an impediment to any kind of global progress. Um, this guy, Jer Swigert, I don't really know who he is other than, you know, his title as the co-director of the Global Immersion Project. And I don't really know what that is, so I can't say I endorse it or, or not. Um, but I, I do like what he has to say in a blog post that he wrote back in May of this year. And he he discusses um, global leaders that he works with. I'm not really sure what he means by global leaders. I haven't researched his organization, so I don't know what he does. Um, I don't know what field he's referring to, uh, but I, I'd probably say that's pretty immaterial to both the point he's making and the point that I'm making here. Um, so he, he talked to these global leaders about their thoughts on American evangelicalism, and the overwhelming consensus boils down to uh, something that he paraphrased, essentially, that... Um, White American evangelicals have consistently proven to be the most dangerous people on the planet. The news they claim to be good is bad for far too many. They are either oblivious to this or simply do not care. Thus, from our point of view, our being those global leaders that uh, Swiger is talking about, from our point of view, they are not irrelevant. They are a liability. They are the problem. Uh, later on in his blog, he writes, um, history tells us that the closer the church got to power, the more violent it became. Ultimately, it reflected the very empire that it sought to transform. The roots of white American evangelicalism begin not with the incarnation, death, and resurrection of a dark-skinned Palestinian Jew named Jesus. They begin with the early church fathers' theological justifications for human hierarchy. Rather than fertilized with sacrifice and generosity, these roots are seasoned by supremacy and patriarchy. The roots of this contemporary distortion have given life to the seedlings of colonialism, capitalism, and racism. They have nourished the growth of wealth building through the domination, slavery, genocide, and ongoing imprisonment of indigenous and non-white communities. Yeah. Nate, this, is, this is, touches on something for me that's driving me nuts, too, is I've watched Christian families say things like, I don't know what Jesus you guys worship, but that's not the Jesus I know. Like seeing all the signs about Jesus in, you know, at, when they're storming the Capitol. And, and I have to say, but the Jesus you're talking about that you say you don't recognize in those, those people storming the Capitol, the Jesus you kept talking about, I think he was white Jesus, by the way, the one they were talking mm. about wasn't the Palestinian one, the brown-skinned Palestinian one. But the white Jesus they kept talking about and preaching about, pastors kept preaching about, and you named so many names, Nate, of influential uh, evangelical leaders, they were endorsing Trump. So don't distance yourself from that. Don't take the time to just go, well, that's not my Jesus. Take a look at the whole. Take a look at the fact that 81% of evangelicals voted for him, that they're his largest supportive group, and ask yourself, What's happening to Christianity? What's gone wrong here that we need to be analyzing? And don't pretend it's so distant from anything you believe or think, especially if you're endorsing Trump and have been from your pulpit as a pastor or even just as a churchgoer supporting Trump. Don't pretend that that doesn't reflect you. That came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my message, if you're listening to this and you are evangelical, to my evangelical friends and family, you cannot distance yourself from this attack on our democracy. You created this menace, and if you want to survive it, you must recognize your complicity in its growth and take steps to understand how you can dismantle it. And those steps include listening to non-white, to the BIPOC community, and hearing the things that we have been talking about for at least five years since this guy began his campaign. Mm. White people can't pretend to be shocked that they didn't know this happened unless they were ignoring non-white people who have been speaking out very loudly from day one of Trump getting elected. Yeah, and black people have been talking about this for decades. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Collective sigh, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. This has been a very hard topic 
to discuss. Um, and I think I speak for all of us when I say that. But uh, we want to let you know that if you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation, any thoughts, any comments, you can find us on social media. Um, Nate, could you just give a plug for our social media real quick? Yeah, we are at Don't Repeat This Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Don't Repeat Pod on Twitter. Um, we also have a website, don'treatpeatthispodcast.com, which you can comment on our episodes there. So please feel free to throw some comments uh, on the episode pages there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if you disagree with anything we've said today, if you have anything that maybe you misunderstood, or maybe we said something that needs correction, we're open to it. We would love to hear your feedback and we would like to be able to have discussions that are productive Mm -hmm. and grow Mm -hmm. and learn Mm -hmm. because we should all be people who are willing to grow and learn. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So please drop us a line. We might even read your comments on air next time. Um, if you like the show, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be reading some of our most interesting reviews in future episodes. Five stars get extra credit, so leave. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely leave us a review. Uh, if you want to give us a one-star review, you could just keep scrolling. We don't need to, uh, we don't need that in our life. No extra credit for one-star reviews. You get negative credit. I used to teach. That's a thing. Um, if you have any <laughs> ideas for topics that you want us to cover next, please let us know. Any future topic ideas, um, you know, we're open to it. Um, if we cover your, if we covet your topic, oh my goodness! If we cover your topic, <laughs> <laughs> we will give you a little shout out when we do. Um, I'm Vicky. I'm Gail. I'm Nate. And this has been Don't Repeat This. So next time you're at dinner with very conservative people, please don't repeat this. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.